Can you imagine if everyone just sat and took 100% responsibility for how they act, for their fulfillment, for their joy, for how they treat their kids, for how they don't treat their kids, for the relationships with their wives, their families, the people around them? The world will become a better place, but we don't have to worry about the world. When we take 100% responsibility, all we got to worry about and focus on is within us. And you start there. And that's how you make real change in the world. You're listening to Lead Through Values, where America's Chief Culture Officer, James Mayhew, helps you create a high-performance workplace by building strong leaders, enhancing communication, and accelerating productivity. And now, here's your host, James Mayhew. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Lead Through Values. This is your host, your coach, America's Chief Culture Officer, James Mayhew, speaking to you today. And I have a very powerful episode for you to listen to today. Uh, Powerful because it is on a topic that seems evasive to many of us, and that topic is the freedom lifestyle. And I am very honored, I am very humbled, and I feel very blessed to have the one and the only Kurt Dante on the show today. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Kurt in my own words, and then I'm going to read a bio, because in, in my words, it's going to be different, obviously. And here's what I want you to know. This is a guy that uh, you see on LinkedIn, and he has presence. He is powerful. He has energy, and yet a very humble, genuine, very... Uh, just very friendly, kind-hearted kind of guy. And I think at times we see somebody's presence online and we go, that dude is powerful. And, uh, or, or we have whatever you know thoughts that go through our head. I just wanted to share this because one of my favorite things to do with this podcast is that having that opportunity to speak to somebody, uh, to get to know them on a human level and Man, it is it is awesome. So, here, here's what I that that's really wanted what I really wanted to say for you today. Uh, but here's the bio for Kurt. Kurt Mercadani helps driven men clear their limiting beliefs, dissolve their stress, and rediscover their lives of joy and freedom. For 25 years, he has counseled small businesses, entrepreneurs, as well as some of the largest corporations and associations in the country. He's built three profitable businesses, including a seven-figure PR and ad agency. Kurt has trained, coached, and delivered keynotes and workshops to clients across the globe. He is a certified human behavior consultant, a certified Hoapanapano, hope I got that right, my friend, and law of attraction practitioner and author of the best-selling book, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. Kurt, his wife, and their four children currently reside in Sedona, Arizona, following a year of traveling the country as part of their freedom lifestyle. And now here's our conversation. Hey everybody, this is James and welcome back to this episode of Lead Through Values. Kurt Mercadante joins the podcast today. Uh, Kurt, it is awesome to have you here. James, it is a pleasure to be with you and a fellow Hawkeye fan. So uh, you got to mention that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And we are are recording on uh, July 1st of 2022 and we just had some big recruiting news that we were just talking about with the Iowa Hawkeye football program. So we're excited. I'm pumped. Um, Kurt, 
as we dive in today, I always just like you to kind of share with our audience, our listeners, what is it that you're doing and uh, what's some of the, the exciting things that are going on in your life right now? Yeah. Well, the real exciting thing is we just yesterday uh, booked a family trip to Italy. So uh, as we record this, it'll be, you know, I don't know when you'll air this, but it's going to be at the end of July. We're going there. We thought we'd never be able to go again, you know, given the state of the world. But Italy kind of lowered its shields, have no idea if they're going to raise them again. And we said, we're going, we're there. And you know why it's exciting is because it's a little bit scary because the prices to travel right now, are three, four times what they were four years ago. You know, all those things. Um, And you see, you know, you can get distracted by, oh my gosh, everyone. Oh, you see everyone on LinkedIn and there's travel and the travel is problem and this and that and gas and inflation and all that. Having a truly abundance mindset just tunes it out and says, I want to go. We're going. And you can truly do whatever the hell you want to do. Anything you want to do. And um, so that's why it's so exciting. I just went and picked up a bottle of Italian wine. We're going we're gonna to celebrate tonight <laughs> that we, we did it. We're going because we had been traveling before the, uh, the, the era of whatever it's called of the last two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, we'd been traveling overseas and then it stopped. And so I said, you know what? I don't, the opening. So this, this is a little digression. But the, I don't know if you've seen the latest uh, James Bond movie, the, uh, Daniel Craig's last James Bond movie. I have not actually. So there's a uh, a scene in it. This doesn't give anything away, but it's not the opening scene, but it's kind of like they do the opening scene and then they do probably the music and then they come back and there's this panning, uh, you know, probably a drone shot, right, of this bridge. Well, it's actually an aqueduct, but stone. It's a Roman old antique bridge in this Italian town. And they said it's Matera. It's not. It's actually the town of Gravina where my grandfather was born in Italy. And we were there on that aqueduct shortly before they filmed it, whatever, four years ago. And so I remember watching it and I knew it, but I forgot about it. And I'm sitting in the movie theater and I saw it and I start crying, Mm. thinking, because this was last year, I'll never be able to go there again. I want to go, you know, that type of thing. And then I realized that I was letting outer situations put me into victim mode. And I said, no, we're going next year. I don't know how. I can't control what happens with the government, but I can manifest this is going to happen. And the shields lowered. And I looked at my wife, she looked at me and said, let's do it. So, awesome. uh, so yeah, we're pretty excited about that. Well, that, I mean, that to me sounds like, um, from a European destination, Italy looks magnificent from whatever I've seen from all the way from the coast up to the beautiful mountains and everything. So what, what part will you visit or do, do you kind of cover a good chunk of the country while you're there. Well, we've been, you know, we haven't done the North and we always want to do the North and we're like, we'll come back and do the North for this one. We're going to, we're going to do what we love, which is, and we love it all, you know, but we're going to go into Rome for a few days. We love, we absolutely love Rome. We're going to stay there for a few days and rent a car and then drive down to Puglia around Gravina. So Southern Italy, which doesn't get visited much. It's often overlooked and it's amazing. Uh, It's rocky hills, volcanic hills, great wine. Uh, And so we got a villa there. We got, and you know, we kind of centrally located where you can go over to the Adriatic or you can go over to the Ionian Sea and it's blue water. It's, it's, it's Mm. Mediterranean, you know, but it's these seas within the, I don't know how they figure that out. Um, so we go down there and then, and uh, so we'll be there two weeks and then, and then we come back. And so Rome bookends it. Then we go back to Rome for three or four days, 
kind of chill out there and then fly back. So, uh, yeah, we're excited. Help me, help me understand something. First of all, I guess the prerequisite question is, have you been to the Tuscany region? We have, but not what we've been to Florence, but we haven't. And I guess we've driven through, we've been around to some things. We drove through Siena, but we haven't done like the Tuscan tours at all yet. Um, and maybe another time we'll, we'll do that. Maybe we'll go there without the kids. <laughs> well, if you do and you spend some time there, you have to let me know because my burning question is every time I see, you know, a Hollywood, uh, setting in Tuscany or something, I don't know if it's a Hollywood magic that they do and in, in the way they film it, or if it just looks that way, but the sunlight, everything about mm. it just seems to have a glow. It looks phenomenal there. I've just wanted to know, is that real or is it just like it is here in the Midwest and through movie magic, they make that extra layer of magic happen? You know, I think I think there's a combo of of the earth there and, and what it looks like in the hills and, and probably the shots that you get it. But yeah. like we noticed we're here in Arizona. The interesting thing about here where we're at in Arizona and, and northern Arizona is it is very similar. It's the closest I've ever seen in the U.S. to southern Italy. Because okay. of the rocking, and we're actually on a similar latitude. Apparently, uh, we're closer to Sicily, so you can make the similar types of wines. It's volcanic. There's a, and what I notice is here the sun looks very different than it does anywhere else. Than it does in, and and part of it could be the humidity or lack of humidity that affects the glow of the sun. I will just say though, we we've driven through Tuscany. When you get those rolling hills, and you just set. It's not just the sun. It's just how everything works together, right? In a painting and the vineyards and the rolling hills. And it's similar in, in certain parts of Puglia with these rolling hills and the, and the, and it just is a different world. And, um, yeah, it's amazing. Well, it, it does sound amazing. And, uh, maybe someday I'll be able to, to make that, uh, that visit. Well, as we, as we had talked about just in prep, you know, there were some some notes that I had taken and, um, you know, I'm looking at you and, and our, our for our listeners that are just doing the audio version of this today. You can't see that Kurt is wearing his cap and I've noticed it in a lot of your pictures. It says freedom on it. And uh, the segue that, I, that I'm wanting to make here is talk to me about how responsibility and freedom go hand in hand. And I think you already alluded to it a little bit about like just taking control and victim mindset, but I, w- I want to just let you roll with this and, <laughs> and see where we go. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought together the responsibility and freedom because over the last, well, it, it's been this way for a while, but especially over the last two and a half years, and you see it flare up, especially in socioeconomic and political context, but you can apply it to anything. Usually when I see people go on a rant or lecture everyone about freedom and responsibility, almost 100% of the time, what that person actually wants you to do is you to take some sort of action that makes them feel safer. Now, they're not going to take any action, right? But they want you to take the actions that make them safer. Now, I could get specific in the socio-political realm. I don't know that I have to, right? But if that person took responsibility for their own health, maybe everyone would be safer. You know, everyone wants to blame someone else. Everyone wants to find a scapegoat. Everyone else wants to wake up and say, someone should do something. You know, we've had a number of over the last month, and I'm not bringing this up for any political context about guns, but we've Mm -hmm. had these school shootings that have happened, right? And we've Mm -hmm. we've had a number of them over several years. 
It's like 95% of the people post something should be done. We need to do something. Someone else needs to pass a law. And you know how many of those people probably go back and ignore their kids, ignore their kids for work, have an attitude of anger and fear. And they're not taking care of their own house. They're not taking care of their own families. And yet they want someone else to do something, someone else to do something. Instead of taking full responsibility for themselves, for their own lives, for their own happiness, because there's something, this is a real thing. Scientists have studied this in the social realm, in the epidemiological realm. It's called emotional contagion. Your emotions, it's not a victimless crime. Your emotions spread. You know, you can wake up in the morning and feel that your wife is having an off day. You know, we have a family of six here in our household. We have four kids, my wife. I can tell when someone's off. When I'm off, everyone's off. Yeah. Now apply that to your work, apply that to your community, apply that all around. And it doesn't even have to people, I mean, there's some incredible studies, even looking at heart disease, health, but also your emotions affecting those around you. And so if you go through life with a blame everyone and you're in fear and you're in anxiety, you're affecting, infecting other people, not just your family, but you're infecting others. And if you apply this to any problem, you start to realize that most societal problems, I would say all societal problems or issues, all personal issues, are issues of not just emotion, but that's a function of your consciousness. And there is not a single, and I say this as someone who has run tier one political or helped run tier one political campaigns, worked on Capitol Hill, there is absolutely no political quote unquote solution for crises of consciousness. And what that takes is, and if there's people listening right now who are triggered and say, but you don't understand, they got to do something. They got to pass a law. Parents aren't Mm -hmm. the same today that they were 20 years. How does that affect what's going on in your life? Can you imagine if everyone just sat and took 100% responsibility for how they act, for their fulfillment, for their joy, for how they treat their kids, for how they don't treat their kids, for their relationships with their wives, their families, the people around them? The world will become a better place, but we don't have to worry about the world. When we take 100% responsibility, all we got to worry about and focus on is within us. And you start there. And that's how you make real change in the world. Okay, so... (laughs) Here's the thing. I remember you're a strengths finder guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have responsibility in your top five or 10? I do. You do? Where is yeah. it at? Do you remember? Uh, what am I? Learner, activator. I, it's my fourth. Number four. Okay. So for me, it sits at like number seven, I believe. It's mm-hmm. high for me. Well, I was working with a, a young man one time and uh, he didn't realize how much of a superpower responsibility was in his life. All right. And so that was, we just talked about what his blind spot was around that coached him through it. And it was a, it was just this huge epiphany for him to realize not everybody thought the same way he did. And it was causing some strained relationships at work. He was actually a manager in his twenties, uh, managing men who were in their thirties, forties, and fifties. And so there was some gaps already. Well, his super high level of responsibility impacted that. So where I'm going with this is when you're talking about responsibility, it's really an interesting dialogue when you think about it as a talent, a gift that you are given, you know, as part of your DNA, but it's also something of value that we learn and it can be instilled in us. So for the people that have, Mm -hmm. uh, that don't have responsibility super high, does that impact their ability to take 
I guess, ultimate responsibility for their life. What are your thoughts on that? No, because there's what's called strengths innovations and strengths innovations allow you to utilize any combination of strengths you have to get whatever result you want. Mm-hmm. You know, in strengths-based leadership, uh, Tom Rath talks and, and he, he details all these different CEOs who all have a different level of strengths, but they use what's, what comes to them to lead. Now, you, I guarantee all of those people take responsibility. Otherwise, they wouldn't be good leaders. They wouldn't have made a news book. They wouldn't be successful. Um, and so you can utilize, you, you, you got to find that within. You know, we have a, um, uh, well, I'll tell a story first. There was a woman who came to me and I, I did a speech in Charleston for a tech company. This was four years ago. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, oh, I need to talk to you. She said, can we talk in the corner, right? Because she she wanted to build a, another job. She had a side hustle, but she didn't want her <laughs> the other people sure. to hear it at her work. Sure. She said, well, I have this side hustle and it was like music related. I said, okay. She's like, I just can't find the time to build it and work on it. And I said, okay. She's like, I just, you know, during the day, I said, okay, what about in the morning? What do you get up in the morning? Well, I'm not a morning person. Okay, <laughs> got it. I got that. What about on your lunch hour? Well, I'm here at work and usually we do. Okay, great. What about when you get home from work? Well, my husband comes home and I have to make dinner. Okay. Uh, what about after that? Well, then I feel the guilty. I, I, I have to spend time with my husband. I said, gotcha. Okay. How about after he goes to sleep? Well, I'm not really a night person. I got to get up morning. I said, okay, um, give up your side hustle, quit. And she <laughs> right. looked at me and she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, listen, I didn't ask you to start your business and I did not ask you to come up and ask me for advice, but I just gave you what, four or five options. There's not a magic six option. I cannot create another five hours in the day for you. Mm-hmm. You have the same amount of time in your day as Mother Teresa, General U.S. Grant, every president, every pope, whoever in the world that you want to talk to, Buddha, Jesus, whatever. And she said, oh. And I said, so you have to take responsibility and either say, I'm going to do this or not, and then find the time to do it. But I can't create time. You see, she wanted me to give her an out. She wanted me to somehow spread magic pixie dust instead of saying, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm not a morning person, but I really want this. So I'm going to get up in the morning. Now, this isn't about struggle. This isn't about, you know, go to bed earlier, get up earlier. I I, I don't know. There's ways to do it, but people want other people to do the work for them. Not everyone, but a lot of people do. And when you take responsibility, I had a woman who I asked to, I have a mindful month decelerator, it's called. And we do over 30 days, we help you build more mindfulness. We help you build more silence into her day. In the morning, it starts with five minutes of silence in the morning, not praying, not affirmations, not anything else. You can go into prayer and go into affirmations, but it's just silence. Literally go and sit on your couch for five minutes. You think that'd be so easy? Oh my gosh, for some people it's impossible. And this isn't a judgment, but- one guy just said, this changed my life. The last 30 days changed my life. My pants don't fit. It helped my health. His sales quota is skyrocketing. He was so focused and anxious about his sales quota. He stopped focusing on that, right? But there was someone who just couldn't do it. You don't understand what it's like. Five minutes at night, I come home from work at six and then I did, and then I drink a bottle of wine and then I got to watch TV just to, just to unwind. And then I, and then I fall asleep. So I can't do the five minutes. I said, okay. Now, is that person taking responsibility or do they want me to somehow either take the fall or spread magic pixie dust? 
So we look at behaviors and we say, okay, what did you do leading up to sleep? What did you do? What did you do? Why are you so tired coming home? What time did you go to bed the night before? It all reverse engineers to the day before. That person just threw up their hands after 20 days and said, I'm done. I'm not going to do it. And so life is all about taking 100 responsibility. Healing is about taking 100% responsibility. Health, spirituality, your mental world, your physical world, all of it. If you don't take 100% responsibility and you blame other people or you constantly look to other people or you look for the out, there is no way you're ever going to get in that state of effortless flow that everyone says they want to get into, but they just want someone to just somehow, you know, give them the blessing and somehow they're in a state of effortless flow. It doesn't work that way. Well, that's that, that. I love that you you talked on that because I was just looking through here. You, you like to talk about the flow of abundance and prosperity. So, mm-hmm. how does that how does that translate? So, when you're working with somebody and they have uh, maybe this limited belief, they they're not in an abundance mindset, and you're working with them to to help them discover those things. How do you get people into that flow of abundance and prosperity? Because I imagine. That's kind of like teaching an old dog new tricks. It can be tough. Yeah, it's 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 actually taking, teaching an old dog to remember their old tricks. And what do I mean by that? Freedom, when you get in that state of abundance and prosperity and you get in that state of flow, right? That's when you start to feel that state of freedom. You're bulletproof. Nothing bothers you. You're not distracted. And to do that, freedom really is about forgetting. Freedom is about forgetting. It's not about adding. It's not about my cup overfloweth. Well, when someone says that, I say, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for you, right? It's about emptying out. It's about forgetting. It's about forgetting the layers of programming and crap and clutter and memory and trauma that you've had your entire life. Because here's the deal. Freedom is your birthright. Freedom isn't something you go out and get. Freedom's not something that anyone can take from you. Oh, so-and-so, the president did this. I'm less free. BS. Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, he found freedom in a concentration camp. Nelson Mandela writes about finding freedom. I think it was 27, 28 years on Robben Island in a prison. If they can find freedom there, and I posted this a few weeks ago and a guy said, you're just one of the privileged few. What about someone who grows up in another country and this and that? I said, did you even watch my video? Do you think Victor Hmm. Frankl had a choice? He actually did have a choice, you know, And, and in a concentration camp. And so if you are someone who really wants to fight back and say, you don't know what it's like, then you're not truly free. And you have to peel away the layers of programming and crap and clutter to remember who you truly are because freedom is your birthright. Freedom is your natural state. In every ancient tradition, right? Spiritual tradition, Jesus, Buddha, the Tao Te Ching, what do they write about? Who's most likely to, does Jesus say, get into heaven? Children. In Zen, in Buddhism, they write about the beginner's mind. In, in the Tao Te Ching, they write about being as supple and flexible as an infant. You can cry mm. all day long, but you never get hoarse. Why is that? It's not because children are just really good people and they're going to get into heaven. The heaven they're talking about is now. If you are like a child, then you're excited and not distracted. When you got to go to the bathroom, you poop. When, you gotta, when, when something happens and you hurt, you cry. And then you're fine. And then you giggle. And that's fine. You have a sense of wonder and excitement until everyone starts telling you no. Everyone starts mm-hmm. filling you with limiting beliefs. Everyone starts programming you. Your parents, church pulpits, bosses, peers, social media, politicians, the TV on in the background. 
All of that gets programmed into your subconscious. So when you're 45 and you're watching Shark Tank and you find yourself, you don't even know involuntarily spewing out those fat cats. Don't they have enough money? They're just so privileged. Guess what? That might be your mom talking, your dad talking, your grandparents talking. It might be someone talking because you got the news on in the background. So you're no longer in a state of freedom. So to get in that state of flow, what you have to do is when you think of flow of abundance and prosperity, we don't create that. It's in flow. That river is flowing. It was your birthright. You forgot about it. What we're really good at doing is creating dams. And that dam is built up of limiting beliefs. It's built up of forgetting who you are. It's built up of an attachment to money, which, by the way, isn't just the greedy person. It's also the person who doesn't have much money, but Mm -hmm. sells their family and their future down the toilet because they're so scared about their retirement fund instead of being abundant. We build these dams. And so the way to get into flow is to start dissolving the dam, is to start getting rid of the boulders, right? Just peeling them out. Now, as you're flowing down that mountain stream, things are going to happen. Boulders are going to come from the mountain stream, land in the water. Now, most of the personal and professional development people today will tell you, you swim up to that boulder. I'm going to motivate you. You get up in the morning, you pumped up, and you start punching that boulder. You headbutt that boulder. You try to move that boulder. And when you're bloody and sweaty, then push harder. And so you do that for a while and you're like, wait, I can't do it any longer. And they say, all right, pay me another uh, 50 bucks a month to join my group and I'll motivate you more to hit it. Well, I'd rather be the person who just flows to the right or flows to the left and waits at the hustle and grind pornographers as I just flow (laughs) on by and go to where I'm going. That's a state of freedom. Who cares what's happening on the banks of the river? I don't care about gas prices. I don't care about the war. It's not that I don't have empathy for other people. But guess what? Every minute that you spend worrying about external stuff is a minute that you're not free. Mm. You you have a family. You and I have wives. We have families. We have a business. It doesn't mean I talked to a client yesterday and his daughter was lecturing him about Darfur. And he's like, yeah, we, we talked about this. There's a tragedy somewhere in the world in every single town in the world every minute. If we were to worry about every single tragedy for every minute, the world would just end. But we've all met people who try to do that. And those are the people who are not free because they're allowing everyone and everything around them to live rent-free in their mind. Man, those are, you have dropped some powerful phrases there. I love that. Uh, One of the things that you and I talked about that I think is a nice segue here is that desperation mindset. So Mm. I can have a limiting mindset, but what happens when I'm in that desperation mindset? And and I can tell you for me, I'll just share, you know, I'm not too shy about sharing this. There have been more than a few times in my life where I have felt that desperation mindset. It started in my business when my business didn't do what I thought it was going to do by the time I thought it would do Mm. it. I started to move into feeling like, okay, I've got to get something. I've got to get a win here. And it was like, you try harder and you, it's again, like you were saying with the boulders, more bloody knuckles, beat your head against it harder. But here's the interesting thing that I found is that people learn it. They pick it up. Like they're Mm -hmm. savvy. They pick up like, Hey, James is a little desperate here. Right. So there's some people that, that might love you and care about you enough to throw you a bone. Uh, I think that probably happened. There's also some other people that sense it and they they don't buy into you because you're not portraying confidence. You're doing the opposite is you're portraying weakness. You're saying, I don't believe and I need this. And, and we start trying to talk them into things. 
Anytime if I have ever done that, it never ends well for me or in the business setting, the client that I would have done that with. Thankfully, I, uh, I am aware of that now. And I don't know that I ever did it intensely, but I do know that at one point that, that things were going rough. It was like 2017 or 18. And, uh, I was like, man, I need to give this up. You know, this Beth is asking me like, Hey, can you write us a check this month? And I'm like, I'm working on it, you know, and I give her that confidence, but I think she could sense it. And I think some of the people that I was trying to, uh, persuade into like, Hey, I'll be a great coach for you. Just give me a shot. Just give me a shot, Kurt. Well, they knew that, that maybe that wasn't the best time for them. So I'm going to, I'm going to loft it back at your way. And, and how is like this grasping for something? Uh, what's the outcomes there? What, Take, take what I've described a lot further. I know you can. Yeah. Anytime we grasp or we strive for anything, we become tense. And then your cortisol fl- starts flowing. And your cortisol is your stress hormone. Your cortisol, when that starts flowing, you're actually dumber, right? Because you're in fight or flight mode. And when you're in fight or flight mode, all your energy has been shifted to, I'm going to run or I'm going to fight, mm-hmm. right? Or I'm going to freeze and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think you're going to be effective? Do you think you're going to be operating from a place of freshness and inspiration and creativity? or a place of just memory and programming. Mm-hmm. And so we all as entrepreneurs go through this. You know, I built a seven figure PR and ad agency mm-hmm. and at peak revenue, I had it at peak revenue, but I've also gone through it when, you know, my current company, you know, I shut about five years ago, I just shut down my company, my agency mm-hmm. at peak revenue. I was fat, drunk, and stupid, right? I was about <laughs> 75 pounds heavier than I am now on a cocktail of prescription drugs to numb certain things that were going on in the anxiety attacks. I wasn't being a present dad and husband. And I started over. I started just from scratch. Now, there have been days where we got our bank account down to $250. We're a family mm-hmm. of six. Mm-hmm. That desperation is normal. That feeling of desperation, I would say it's a, it's just a normal response because, you know, and especially when you have the programming, your subconscious wants to protect you, even if it's killing you. So it goes into fight or flight mode and, oh my gosh, we're going to do this, you know? And, and so when that happens, it puts you into protective mode, even when you need to be into loose mode, you need Mm. to be flexible. You need to be that tree. You know, in South Carolina, we had palmetto trees. They would bend in a hurricane. The oak tree would crack and fall on your house. I'd rather be the palmetto tree. I'm going to bend and not break and then come back tomorrow and be great. But that notion that we have to struggle, because this happens on both ends. I was very successful very easily from a money standpoint with my agency. I formed it in my uh, 20s. I went right to mid six figures, brought it to a million dollar, you know, all that. I was desperate because I felt I was an imposter because it came so easily to me. Mm. Because I paid attention to other people. I'm supposed to struggle. I had a client yesterday who said, I feel lazy because all these other people are doing this stuff and I'm not. Well, he's got a bunch of kids. You should listen to his day. He walks his kids to school every morning. He picks them up. He works on cars. He's got a job. He just sold the company. I said, dude, stop. this is when we become distracted. Go within. Who cares about other people in that realm? But when you are also on the other end, when you got $250, when it's not going, we have mm-hmm. expectations. And my take on goals is much different than some of other people. You know, they, they tell you, set your big, hairy, hairy, audacious goal. And here's what happened when people do that. They wake up January 1st and they're motivated because their conscious mind, which is only right. 5% of your cognition says, I'm setting this for December 31st. And then for five days in a row, they think, 
this is big goal. This is big goal. This is big goal. And then they kind of forget about it. And then they think about it in mid July and they get this pit in their mm-hmm. stomach. And, oh, that's a big goal. All right, I'll, I'll get on it Oof. tomorrow. And then it's December 15th. They're like, well, I'll do it next year. They were so focused on the goal. Or then if they struggle and they go and they go and they go and they're thrown against spaghetti against the wall and they're like, it's not where it's supposed to be. I'm so focused on that end goal. What I urge people to do is set the goal and forget about it. Mm-hmm. Set your intention. Now, how do you do that? Well, you set your goal and then the next step is you reverse engineer it. So if you set a, uh, if you start on January 1st and you want to get somewhere by January 1st of next year, there's 365 days to get. I urge people don't set more than three outcomes a day. But when you reverse engineer it, I should be able to ask you, what's your outcomes tomorrow? And if you're like, well, I think I do this. No, 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 no. You should know because you've done the reverse engineering. So when you wake up tomorrow, you don't have to be anxious about my goal, my goal, my goal. I don't know how I'm going to get there. And don't read books and try to get motivated because that's going to put more crap in your brain. You've reverse engineered it. So say, well, tomorrow, all I got to do is, you know, I got to post one piece of content. I got to make 10 outreach calls. I got to do this. And then I'm done. Because the, the, what happens otherwise is if you don't have that process and you, and you focus on your goals all the time and you grasp toward them, I've heard it uh, described that this addiction to struggle and the desperation becomes a spiral. It's like mm-hmm. a vortex or a whirlpool in a river. You get stuck in it and you're like, I'm just going to work harder. But you swim harder and then you just go faster. Mm-hmm. The key is actually letting go and letting that thing just spit you out and swirl you around, you know? And to do that is tough. You got to let go. You have to let go. And, you know, I, I was having three weeks that weren't going that great uh, earlier this month. Just whatever. I mean, the top hitters in baseball get in slumps. Sure they do. And I was thinking yep. about it too much. And I went back to the modalities that I teach. Imagine that. And I cleared, I cleared, I forgot and I forgot and I forgot and I stripped away and I ended up having the best month I've had in two years. Just because the first 25 days weren't great doesn't mean the last five didn't turn into the best month once I let go. I want to ask you an important question. Yeah. And it's something that we we did discuss a little bit, uh, a time or two. And it's this notion of self-forgiveness. Okay. Mm. So- People are hard on themselves. Some people are more hard on themselves than others. I tend to be that person. I, you know, I've described it as I'm really good at kicking myself in the teeth or in the gut. Um, I've had people that have worked for me in in my corporate life that were extremely hard on themselves. Uh, I, when we tr- struggle, struggle is the word I'm trying to. Struggle to say, to forgive ourselves. What's actually happening and how do we get past that? Yeah, it goes back to judgment. And we love to separate things into this and that and good and bad and whatever. And if you don't, right, we see this in the world today. You can't just be not something. You have to be anti-something. Are you Mm. pro this or pro that? I didn't see the flag of whatever country on this. Are you a bad person? Mm -hmm. And so- that's what we're programmed to do. In the Tao Te Ching and, and the Taoists, uh, Chang Tzu wrote in the Tao Te Ching, talking about getting to a state of fasting the mind. And a state of fasting the mind is where you don't have to judge anything. When someone comes and says, what's your position on that? I'm like, yeah, I don't really care. You don't care? I just walk away. That person doesn't really care. They just want to make the world think they care. But when it comes to ourselves, what we're really doing, if you judge something, 
you know, which leads to lack of forgiveness. If you're trying to get in shape and, oh my gosh, I had a piece of cake last night and you wake up and you feel guilty and you're not going to forgive yourself because you keep focusing on that piece of cake and that's going to make me fat. And what you're doing is you are attaching your focus and energy on that piece of cake. So what what are you just thinking about for the next 24 hours? What do you think you're going to crave for the next 24 hours? Another piece of cake. And then you're going to do it and you're going to do it again. What we focus on most, we will get. So the best thing to do is, I had a piece of cake. I, You know what? Every millisecond is a new starting line. I'm starting now. And if you're consistent, I always tell people, if you're like 80% consistent, you're 100% further than most people. I don't know if that math yeah. adds up. But <laughs> just be you. consistent and then you don't have to, yeah, I had a piece of cake, so what? And then you just move on. I worked out today. I went... You know, but that you can do that with anything. I didn't book a call yesterday. Okay, well, yesterday doesn't matter. By the way, tomorrow doesn't matter either. Today mm-hmm. is the only thing literally that matters. And so live in today, be present. And when you're present, that forgiveness, forgiveness is about something that happened in the past. You know, and so if you're judging and you're not forgiving, you're focused on something that happened five minutes ago, five years ago, five days ago, whatever. You're not present. The key is to be fully present right now because yesterday and tomorrow don't matter at all. Mm. Mm. Powerful, powerful stuff. And, um, you know, part of the reason I, I wanted to go there was there's been times where I've struggled to forgive myself for stupid decisions, whether it was choices of food or things I spent money on, things that I didn't do that I committed to doing or whatever it is. And so, uh, um, it kind of leads me into uh, another piece that we talked about, which is um, you said people don't like unsolicited advice. And I actually do a fair amount of, uh, of talking about the difference between getting feedback from people versus advice. And I think that is a wide gap. And I think it is also blurry for people. So that's why we spend time talking about what is the difference between those things. And, and I've always said is that advice always comes through my own. If I give you advice, Kurt, it's always coming from my own experiences, my own belief system, my own mindset. And so if somebody you know, was to ask me, uh, should I do this or should I do that? And I give my, my opinion of it, I can influence them because I'm saying, well, I could never imagine myself do that. Yeah. And, but I don't say it that way. You know, and and I think there are people that can be close to us. They could be um, family members, they could be uh, you know coaches, bosses, uh, pastors, whatever, that could give us advice at times that is either solicited or unsolicited. But it takes us it, it takes us off course, and I and I think that if we don't listen to what's actually inside of us and the you know the plan that we know that we should follow and the thing that we know that we should do, if we don't follow it, we're going to be in some sort of misery, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, most people don't like unsolicited advice, but it, it, it also depends on how it's delivered. You know, and, and, and it certainly depends on the behavior style. You know, when I'm in high D, D mode and someone mm. delivers it in a way that is, uh, just in a way, <laughs> you know, it could be a number of different ways. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Now, what I've learned to do is to take responsibility and realize there's three A's that I like to talk about when it comes to just about everything, but mm-hmm. especially in behavior styles. 
The first A is awareness, right? So as a D, I don't love someone throwing unsolicited advice at me, especially if it if if they do it in a tone or or a way that. And sometimes as a D, I take it as condescending, no matter what tone they use. Sure. And so you know, there was someone who I get along with and is great who all of a sudden I would send emails and I thought they were great emails, you know, and this person was, uh, in high C mode and started correcting and coaching me on my emails. Mm. Now I didn't ask for that. It was unsolicited. (laughs) Now as a D I was in D mode. Yep. I was like this MF or, you know, I mean, it was like, Mm. I was upset. So awareness was I sat back and I, you have to just stop, take five seconds or 10 seconds, take a deep breath and say, okay, wait, I'm going to have some awareness here. I'm in D mode right now. That person's in C mode. And this person, by the way, I happen to know, and as a disc trainer, behavioral trainer, I know where people are at, even if I don't see this assessment, this person I'd worked with, and I knew their assessment. I looked back and said, okay, that's not him talking. That's the C mode. He's coming from the C. I'm coming from the D. I have an awareness of that. The second A is appreciation. He's not a jerk. He's not bad. He's just coming from C mode. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to forgive myself for being angry and upset and getting triggered. I'm just in D mode. So you almost separate yourself. It's like a third party observer. You separate yourself and look at it almost like it's your D and your C are separate and talking to each other. I have an appreciation. There's no judgment here. But then the third is, I think going to what you're saying is alignment. Mm. I have to align my behavior style to that person's, if I want to get along with that person, right? I can always choose to just go ballistic if that's what I want to do, if I want to fight with this person, right? But instead, I align my behavior style to his behavior style, and my response, this all has given me time to now respond instead of react. I said, you know what? Those are some, I email back, those are some great points. I'm going to take those to heart. Thank you so much. And that was it. Instead of now I'm in a fight with this person and now, and something that you brought up to me uh, in a conversation last week uh, about when you got the chance to meet Dan Gable mm-hmm. uh, and you know, listening to him on the Rogan show talk about this as well was that one thing he learned as a coach was to, uh, to tailor and understand the behavior styles of each of his you know, wrestlers. Dan mm-hmm. Gable, uh, for those listening, you don't know who he is, legendary wrestling coach, legendary wrestler, undefeated almost, uh, except for right. one fight, then one, I think undefeated in the Olympics, and then w- incredible legendary coach at the University of Iowa. And he had to meet, he learned to meet these players where they were, or he lost them. Now, you can decide that you just want to go ballistic on people and push people away, or you can decide, well, you know what, I'm going to listen more. Instead of being in reactive mode, I'm going to respond more. Mm-hmm. Now, what does this all go back to? 100% responsibility. Because instead of saying, that jerk, he's coaching me on my emails, I said, no, 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 I'm just in D mode. He's just in C mode. It's, it's cool. It's cool. So you kind of yield a little bit. You bend a little bit like, like the palmetto tree, and then you come back. Then you align yourself and go. Now, there are going to be some circumstances where the person's just a jerk. And that's it. And you can just say, you know what? It's probably not best for us to deal with each other. That's cool too. Mm-hmm. But uh, 100% of the time, if you've come from a place of responding instead of reacting, 
in any interaction anywhere. Uh, and that includes if somebody tells you their problem and you just unconsciously jump in and try to fix it without them asking you, you know, a simple question to ask is, would you really like, would, would you like my, my opinion, my advice? And they may say, no, I just want you to listen. That's happened to me with relatives of my wife. You know, no, I just want you to listen. Cool. Just ask the question. And then sometimes people are just venting to vent and they don't want a solution. So I hope that answered your question. Oh my gosh. No, it, it answered it and uh, a whole lot more. I, I just have been uh, really, really enjoying listening to this, but I'm actually kind of excited because I, I want to go back and take a few notes. You've dropped a few zingers in there and it's just some really great sound bites. This is going to be, as a as an editor of this podcast, it's going to be hard to pick some of those out because there's going to be so many, <laughs> but uh, I'm looking forward to that challenge. So I, I uh, have started something over the past few podcasts where, where I've had a guest and um, I kind of close as we're winding, obviously, this episode down. I'll put you in the hot seat, which is just a little trick I learned from Joe Peachy, who we both know and, and love and respect. Uh, so the hot seat question for you is a little different. And um, I don't know how hot this is going to be for you because you may already know the answer. But mm. I've been watching your background this whole time. And I'm seeing Marvel characters behind yes. you. So the hot seat question is, Kurt, which of the Marvel characters do you most identify with and why? You know, that's a good question. Um, a couple years ago, I would have said, and he's over my left shoulder here, I would have said Iron Man and Tony Stark. Yeah. But some of that was ego. And I've learned that. And I and I learned that some of that had to be ego in terms of, um, you know, and I, I identified with him. He was selling missiles. He was unfulfilled. And he changed his life to be of service and do these things. And um, But the flashiness and the brashness and the arrogance, I, I, it kind of attracted me, right? But that was my ego. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd say, I'd say at this point, and, and he's arrogant too, but learning let to be less so. I really like uh, Doctor Strange. Mm, okay. And the more I, I really study spirituality and true inner freedom and letting go, and, the, and then you go back and watch the first Doctor Strange, you start to realize this is a documentary, you know, and the healing power of within and, and the power of the mind and the power to go to other places. Because I've mentioned the conscious and the subconscious. But the higher conscious is where everyone talks they want to get to. It's enlightenment. Whether you're Christian, Buddhist, follow the doubt, whatever, that's where everyone wants to get. Mm -hmm. We usually get stuck kind of between the conscious and the subconscious in this unconscious state where we don't think, we just do, I don't know. You got to build a relationship. And we do this in our beliefs and behaviors workshop. We actually teach you to talk to your subconscious to communicate with your subconscious. We actually give it a name. You give your subconscious a name. We teach you how to talk to your subconscious. Hmm. Everything you've ever downloaded, everything you've ever seen, everything in your environment, I don't care what it is, has downloaded in your subconscious. Everything. There are things in my peripheral vision right now downloading in my subconscious. People who have the news on in the background, they say, oh, I don't pay attention. It doesn't affect me. BS. Your subconscious is downloading it. Everything you need is all there. You know, and you've downloaded it since the beginning, in addition to whatever you have that you were born with. 
right? I tend to believe, I grew up Catholic, that everyone who thinks give us this day our daily bread means, you know, get on bended knee and beg. They're getting it wrong. I'm not judging. Mm -hmm. I got it wrong for years. And I think the real thrust of that statement is we were already born with it. We have everything we need. Your conscious and your subconscious, your subconscious is right there. It opens the door to your higher conscious. When you start talking to it, so your subconscious can be your ally or it can be one of those dams damming up the river. Mm. When you build it and you get aligned, all of a sudden your subconscious opens the door. That's why I like Dr. Strange because it actually tells the story of how to do that. And when you really study things that have gone on over the last thousand years, even the last hundred years, people who have been able to get in a truly relaxed state, sometimes under hypnosis, accomplish what we call superhuman feats, go other places, or when people die, near-death experiences that they've had are very common across being able to see remote viewing, these types of things. Um, I'm, I'm really partial to Dr. Strange now. That's a great answer, man. I, uh, I I was thinking the Tony Stark one uh, based on some past, um, you know, just pictures that you had done when we first connected and posts that you had made on LinkedIn. Uh, but that's that's kind of a profound one. That's a surprising choice. I don't uh, I don't know that most people would have gone there. Yeah, you know, I mean, listen, Iron Man's cool. I love Iron Man from an ego perspective. Part of me is like died when he died. I was like, oh, I don't want to watch the Marvel movies. <laughs> you know, behind me, I got Batman. Uh, you yeah. know, I love I love Batman. You know, I love Wolverine because yes. Wolverine's like, he's shorter than me. So I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. I feel pretty good. A superhero is shorter than I am. Um, but yeah, Doctor Strange. Maybe I'll have to get a painting uh, with the beard, a bearded Doctor Strange. Well, I guess he has a beard. I'll, he'll have to get the big beard like me, though. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really cool. Well, so Kurt, uh, I think we should let people know that you are, are the author of a book. Uh, you have upcoming events, I know, that you shared with me. So why don't you go ahead and share um, a few things? So how can people get in contact with you? Where can they find your book? What's your book about quick? And, um, you know, what are the other events that you have coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, I have an easy way. Well, maybe it's not so easy, but if you look at the name, if you're listening to this, look how to spell the name. But if you go to- I'll put a link in there. Yeah, kurtmercadante.life. And it's got links to everything I do. and, And then some. We have a free new Facebook group community called The Man of Freedom. It's for men who really want to realize, not that freedom is something you go get, not that freedom is something that triggers you, but it's within you and you want to rediscover it. Uh, I do a rolling program. It starts the first every month called the Mindful Month Program. And it's about 30 days to build the habit of mindfulness. We also get into health, nutrition, because those things affect your stress levels, your anxiety levels. So it's about dissolving your stress, becoming more mindful. In September, and we'll have another one in the spring, we have our beliefs and behaviors workshop. That's about identifying, clearing, and cleaning your limiting beliefs, and then aligning your beliefs with your behaviors. It includes a good amount of disc training to start attracting what you want in life. You can attract whatever you want. You got to clear that dam in the river. We teach you to talk to your subconscious. That's two days. It's an intensive workshop uh, in uh, in September. It's hybrid. You can join me here in Sedona or do it virtually. Then we have our men's group. By the way, these are all for men. So okay. I've, I've begun working with men now only. Nothing against women, but working with men. And in the, in the spring, in May, we have our Freedom in the Red Rocks Men's Retreat here in Sedona. It's five days of health, hiking, mindfulness, 
acupuncture, uh, learning how to eat correctly. We have, we you actually, we, te- we teach you how to breathe correctly for health, mm. stress, anxiety, all that. And then we have our Freedom Rising program, which is you get all of everything I just mentioned, plus one-on-one coaching with me. Okay. And so uh, if you, if you're serious about investing, if you're serious about dissolving those beliefs, those limiting beliefs, if you're serious about attracting whatever you want and creating whatever reality you want. And if you're someone who says that's BS, you can't do that, then please go to the link because you need to clear some beliefs. Mm, powerful stuff. That is awesome. Uh, for those of you listening or maybe you're watching this, check the notes. I'll have links to those things in there for Kurt. Um, Real quick, you didn't mention your book, I don't think. So go ahead and talk about your book if you if that's still relevant. Yeah, absolutely. I actually just mailed out a copy. Um, so uh, the book is Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. It's five pillars that you can utilize to help start rediscovering that freedom in your life. It starts with superpowers. Whether you use Gallup Strengths Finder, we talk about that in the book. You can use DISC. It's finding your innate true nature to get where you want to go. Defining your vision, which is the second pillar. Crafting your life of alignment, not work-life balance. That's BS. You know, there's no, there's not work in life. There's just life. So finding that alignment. Outcomes, reverse engineering. We talked about that. To set your outcomes so you know what they are. And the last one is flow. Getting in that state of flow each and every minute of the day. Well, and it's available awesome. on Amazon. If you go to Amazon, you can get the book. Um, we're still selling over the last two years. Surprise, surprise. People rediscovered it, uh, feeling less than free and wanting to know how they could rediscover their freedom. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, this has been an awesome episode. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I am, I'm just grateful. And uh, I want to thank all of our listeners, too. If you... Uh, if you've been listening to this and you have felt moved, if something is, you know, Kurt has inspired something inside of you, please do follow up with him. I'm sure that uh, you will not be disappointed with uh, what you'll find there. So, James, it has been a pleasure. Thank you to you and your audience for allowing me to spend time with you today. Kurt, thanks again. And we'll catch all of you on the next episode of Lead Through Values.